This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You are near retirement age. <laughs> are you you'd think that that joke would be near retirement age. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> That was unnecessary. <laughs> but really? That, no, it was necessary. Yeah, I, I thought it. so. I deserve it. You see what's happening to you guys? You're New Yorkers, so you're bitching and moaning about nothing. Yeah. <laughs> that is so true. We're in Florida now. You don't have to complain about every little thing. That's right, people. You're in Florida now. Well, I'm in Florida, and you're watching me in Florida, and you might be in Florida. And if you're not in Florida, you probably wish you were in Florida. I'm Dave Rubin. This is The Rubin Report. It's November 21st, 2022. Uh, that was Friday's Greg Gutfeld with an exclamation point program, the number one show in late night TV. Uh, I did that over at the Hard Rock Hotel in Hollywood, Florida, which is becoming the new Hollywood. Actually, uh, that was during the Fox Nation Patriot Awards. I was there for a couple days. All the usual suspects, Gutfeld and Tucker and Brian Kilmeade and the morning guys and everybody was there and it was a celebration actually not of the on-air talent, but of some of the good, decent people uh, who do good work, whether it's in uh, donations, service, military members, uh, families who've lost loved ones for this country. It was a celebration of, of those folks. It was really uh, quite wonderful. And then, of course, the few days before that, I was in the swamp in D.C. and we sat down with uh, Rand Paul and Jim Jordan and Byron Donalds and a couple other people. I'm heading back to D.C. in a week or so to do a little something with the congressional Republicans. And it does seem like... Uh, Things are happening, people. Uh, so I wanted to do the show. I was talking to Phoenix over the weekend. I wanted to do the show a little bit differently this week and maybe a little bit differently, say, to the end of the year uh, as the holidays roll in and everything else. Because, you know, we, uh, when elections come, you get lost in the racehorse politics part of all of this stuff. And the polls say this and this person says that and we better get the Arizona governor's seat and blah, blah, blah. And all of those things. But of course, what leads us to all of those fights are the culture wars, right? The culture wars that have just been brewing. All of the stuff related to gender and sexuality and racism and how Hollywood, California has imploded. And politics, we say this all the time, it's a line from Andrew Breitbart, politics is downstream from culture. So when you wonder why maybe there wasn't the red wave, although the Republicans did get the house and Nancy Pelosi has been booted and they're already starting to investigate things with Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and a whole bunch more. Uh, but when you wonder why they, why there wasn't the red wave that if you watch this show or if you're roughly a sane person, you go, how was there not a red wave? People have had it with all of this stuff. We know the economy's in bad shape. The U Ukraine war is all bizarro, weird and all of the stuff. It's like, well, we have to accept that the culture has brainwashed a tremendous amount of people. And what do we do with that? So regardless of how good our ideas might be and how much better our candidates might be than somebody like, say, John Fetterman, uh, X amount of people, a huge swath of Americans are going to vote for the bad ideas. Not only vote for the bad ideas, they're going to vote for the people that will gladly take from some and give to others and then create government programs that never go anywhere and keep people in cycles of poverty and all of those things. So what I wanted to do maybe, maybe for the rest of the year, it's not that I'm gonna get away from politics, there's obviously politics involved in what we're gonna do today and always, but get back a little bit to the, to the issues in the culture war because otherwise we'll just do day-to-day -day politics forever. And I don't know if you heard about this, but uh, Donald Trump is running for president. And uh, that's going to keep, you know, half the world sort of focused on that more than anything else. So really, we either have to get rid of our old institutions or we have to rebuild them. But they have been plagued and infected by leftism at sort of every level. That's what we're going to be going through today. And let's start, actually, with sort of the big thing at the moment. It's not just 
that Donald Trump uh, has announced that he is running for president. And a lot of people were excited. A lot of people were freaking out. All the usual suspects chiming in on it. But now even scarier than having Donald Trump return as president, potentially, uh, he has returned on the Twitter. That's right. Elon Musk on Friday put up a poll. Now, these polls last for 24 hours once you put it up. So you can see he put it up uh, on the 18th. Uh, over 15 million people voted on this, which is a lot of people. I mean, that is a lot of people to click a button. Uh, and you can see the results. About 52% to 48% said, yes, reinstate Donald Trump. So at the end of the poll, Elon Musk, I mean, he's got a way of running things. He wrote, the people have spoken. Trump will be reinstated. And you can see an image here of Donald Trump's Twitter account, which is now back up. Now, first off, let me just address one thing related to the poll itself. Is having a poll the best way of deciding who should be banned and who shouldn't be banned? Of course not, because you wouldn't want a majority deciding that dissident voices, minority voices, shouldn't be allowed on a platform. So I'm sure Elon Musk is well aware of that. And he did this, it was a little bit of a troll move. It was a little bit of a, a fun, silly thing by him. Uh, but there is of course a danger in leaving these things up purely to polls. Is the truth that had the poll gone the other way, that Trump wouldn't be back on? And that would be the policy of Twitter. I mean, that wouldn't make much sense, right? So he has also said, by the way, Elon Musk has also said that Alex Jones will not be allowed back on Twitter. He has not left that one up to a poll. So I don't think all his decision making, uh, I don't think all the decision making that he'll be doing will be based on polls, but it, but it is a little bit of a dangerous game to do that, of course, right? Just because you get more votes in something doesn't mean you're morally right or just or good or anything else. Anyway, interestingly, Viva Frey, who of course is a friend of the Rubin Report, a friend of mine, uh, and he's a lawyer and he is a former Canadian now living down here, living the good life here in the free state of Florida. Uh, he went in and did a little digging on what it was that Donald Trump was banned for in the first place. So he posted a couple of screenshots from the original Twitter statement. So there you can see a bunch of them. I'm just gonna read you some of the highlights, some of those yellow highlights. Those are his highlights that he put in those screenshots there. Uh, and uh, sorry, Phoenix, can you just go back up, please? Going the wrong way there on the prompter. There we go. He wrote, holy shit, I've never realized how ludicrous the justification to ban Donald Trump was. This does not read like a justification. It reads like a deranged fabrication. Elon Musk was right to fire anyone and everyone who had a hand in this idiocy. And then he goes in here a couple of the quotes specifically how they are being received and interpreted on and off Twitter, of course, he's talking about Trump's tweets, uh, is being received by a number of his supporters as further confirmation that the election was not legitimate and is seen as him disavowing his previous claim. May also serve as encouragement to those potentially considering violent acts at that the inauguration. American Patriots is also being interpreted as support for those committing violent acts at the U.S. Capitol. Giant Voice is being interpreted as further indication that President Trump does not plan to facilitate orderly transition. The two tweets above are likely to inspire others to replicate the violent attacks that took place on January 6, 2021. So the way I read that, I think might've been a little confusing, but obviously what he was doing there, he was highlighting certain quotes in Twitter's statement regarding Trump tweets leading up to January 6th. And you can see they're all basically sort of conjecture. There's nothing in there like Donald Trump directly called for violence at the Capitol. Donald Trump demanded that his supporters commit some sort of insurrection. Donald Trump is using this platform to promote illegal activity. There was nothing like, there was sort of these amorphous ideas around some of this stuff. He may not leave the presidency. People might interpret what he says as this or that, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, but as Donald Trump has come back on Twitter and as Elon Musk has taken over, Elon, as you know, has also fired a slew of people, I think over a thousand people, and the product still seems to be working right? He's, he's firing people left and right and everything seems to be working. 
I think you could make a fairly strong argument that things are working actually better than before because it seems like the shadow banning's going away. They're allowing a whole bunch of other accounts to come back. Uh, and it does seem like traction is starting to make more sense, all of those things. And once again, and I won't always say it, I promise you every time we talk about Twitter, I know this always feels a little myopic when you talk about Twitter, but it is the public square in the digital space, at least at the moment. So if you're not on there, God bless you, you're probably doing something right and you're probably happier and more efficient in using your time, uh, but it is the place that the stuff starts, right? That that culture war, war that I started talking about, that's where the fight is happening and then that leaks out into real life. So you may not care about Twitter, but what happens on Twitter cares about you. So anyway, as he has fired all of these people at Twitter, uh, a lot of lefties are freaking out and saying they're gonna leave Twitter, they're gonna go build things and blah, blah, blah. They're not gonna build anything because equity doesn't lead you to being able to build anything. You're too focused on your engineer's skin color. Uh, one of the people that's not happy about Elon Musk is AOC. Uh, she wrote on Twitter, shout out to all the workers at Twitter. You all built a vital place for connected and deserved so much for connection and deserve so much better. Millions of people appreciate the space you built and the hard work that went into it. Thank you. Uh, and then Elon Musk, I mean, he's getting good at this. You're welcome. That's all he wrote. You're welcome. Now, just quickly on the AOC thing and these people that are upset by what's happening on Twitter, let's understand this clearly. Elon Musk has not come in and said, I'm going to censor people on the left. He has not said, I'm going to trample on anyone's free speech. He has said, we are going to allow more voices here. He has said, we are going to try to respect free speech a little more honestly, and we're gonna, we're gonna be a little more upfront about our policies. We're not gonna randomly, or not even randomly, because we don't know if it's random or not. We are not going to use the levers of power as our employees see fit to decide who the winners or losers are, who you can see and who you can't see and everything else. Now, who's that upsetting to? Isn't this so interesting? That's upsetting to all the lefties because they're realizing all the powers that be, all the blue check journalists, you know, you'd see all these people from Daily Beast or HuffPo or whatever it might be, BuzzFeed, that would have the blue check and you'd go, oh, somebody wrote an article and they have a blue check. They must be somewhat legitimate but now we know they were buying the blue check or they were getting it through their organization. Now regular people can get the blue check. So it is democratizing uh, the value of your account, right? Uh, you don't get unearned credit just because you happen to work at Daily Beast or something, which is a crap factory. So who is upset that there are more voices? No, there, it's not, we have no evidence right now that suddenly there's way more threats on Twitter and there's way more hate on Twitter. Go six months ago eight months ago, four years ago, I've gotten a tremendous amount of hate on Twitter. You're not gonna believe this. You can either sit there and read it, or you can press block or mute, or you cannot even open your app. It's quite extraordinary what you as a human being can do in relationship to your little magical device. Jordan Peterson's back. That's right, Elon Musk unbanned him too. I mean, just <laughs> perfect, absolutely perfect. And then what started happening? Because Trump is back. And Jordan Peterson is back. And by the way, uh, James Lindsay, who's been on the Rubin Report many times, he is back as of this morning as well. Many people are on their way back. So what's happening? Well, CBS News, they started freaking out and they said they were gonna leave Twitter. In light of the uncertainty around Twitter and out of an abundance of caution, CBS News is pausing its activity on the social media site as it continues to monitor the platform, Major. Jonathan Vigliotti, thank you. The uncertainty and out of an abundance of caution, the uncertainty, the uncertainty of free speech, the uncertainty that people will be able to communicate with each other without the lever uh, being pushed so that someone is seen more and someone is seen less. And that is scary to CBS News. Well, when that clip started making its way around the Twitter, all sorts of people were commenting on it. Here's what Jordan said on that. This is excellent news. Good work, Elon Musk. The corrupt legacy media hate you. You can tell a good man by the quality of his enemies. And that is a, a retweet of a New York Post article regarding CBS News. And then this is just absolutely hilarious. This all happened within 48 hours. 
CBS News is back. Yeah, that's right. Uh, here's a tweet from Variety. CBS News resumes Twitter posting after hiatus over security concerns. Let's just be very, very clear here. There were no security concerns. No one at CBS thought that Elon Musk was doing anything that was going to get anyone into trouble or harm anyone or anything else. If you directly threaten someone, you are in trouble with the law. That is beyond Twitter. If you libel or slander someone, you are in trouble with the law. That is beyond Twitter. What CBS News is upset about is that guys like me and guys like Ben Shapiro and gals like Liz Wheeler or whoever it might be, that we are getting more views than them, that their attention, the attention that you give those people is disappearing. That CNN spent, what was the number? It was like $500 million on CNN Plus and it collapsed basically at launch. That we can do a show like this with my handful of employees and work real hard and give you something that's a little more sensible and a heck of a lot more honest and they don't like that suddenly because of the blue checks and someone coming in and saying, we're not gonna manipulate information, we're not gonna manipulate views, uh, we're not looking so good. So we better get off this thing because we have to assess whether it's gonna be okay. And then 24 hours later, they're back because they know they need the freaking thing, right? They need the thing. But it's not just tech, it's also media and entertainment. And you're not gonna believe this, they're all on the same side of all of this stuff. Uh, Representative Adam Kinzinger, who is, I don't know that I've ever said the phrase rhino on this show. Have I ever said rhino? Because they always say rhino, Republican in name only. Uh, but R Kinzinger, who is basically a disgraced Republican, he's stepping down. I'm not even sure if, is he even in Congress anymore? Or his turn? No, he's not even in Congress anymore. Major Trump derangement syndrome, never accomplished anything. So he's the perfect type of Republican to always put on CNN. So that's what they always do. Uh, he was on with Jake Tapper and Jake, of course, is a Democrat activist. Uh, and they were talking about the Elon Musk poll that led to Trump's return. Internet poll. Trump, of course, was banned from Twitter after the January 6th insurrection for violating the company's policy against glorification of violence. Joining us now to discuss, January 6th House Committee member, Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger. And what do you make of Elon Musk reinstating Donald Trump? Well, look, I mean, I, I get that people are on all sides of this debate. The fact that he did it with a poll of which, you know, however many percent of those could have been bots that aren't real people voting in that. Uh, secondarily, I don't know if, you know, that decision should be made by some poll. And so now this idea that he's going to come on and be reformed, everybody knows he won't. Okay, first, I will give credit where credit is due. As I said earlier, the idea of making policy by polls is not great, right? If the majority all want to silence a small but right minority, that, that is a problem, right? Uh, this is why we have federalism. This is why our whole system is set up the way it is and why we have congressional seats and all of those things, because you don't want tyranny by the majority. I don't think that is the only thing that e led Elon to doing this, right? Uh, I actually think had, had the no's, had the no, we don't want Trump back on, uh, people won. I think that he would have then posted that and said, well, I'm doing it anyway. Like that's, he was going to win this thing or get the result that he wanted either way. Uh, Kinzinger has no evidence that uh, Russian bots led to Trump winning. Of course, there's no evidence of it. There is a rumor that Elon set the poll to get all of these people to click so that he could uncover where bots were coming from, but Kinzinger simply doesn't know. And also the, the, it was the last line is really the reason that I'm showing you where he basically is like, well, we know Trump isn't going to change. Okay, I don't think Trump is going to change, actually, but that doesn't mean he should have been banned in the first place, right? And who really is in power? If a tech oligarch, if t five people that own tech companies can ban the president from being able to communicate with the people, he was still the sitting president when it happened, uh, then who is really more powerful? Is it the president himself or the oligarchs who can basically go ahead and silence him? Uh, but it doesn't just end with Kinzinger. I mean, he's just sort of irrelevant and irrelevant, or whatever. Adam Schiff, who of course is the congressman from Cali, who led the sham impeachments. This guy looks like a deer in headlights all the time. He's very, very scared. He's he's like one of the chief liars, right? So if you want to talk about people that lie all the time, and they'll tell you, well, Trump lies all the time, right? Adam Schiff lied about impeachment, lied about very fine people on both sides, all of the stuff endlessly wasted tax dollars and times. Then there was the second impeachment, Russia collusion, Ukraine this, blah, 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 you got it. Uh, here he is having a meltdown 
because Elon is unbanning the Trump. I want to begin with the news overnight that Donald Trump has been reinstated by Elon Musk on Twitter. Watching the January 6th committee hearings, Trump's tweets were a big part of the story to be told. What, what do you think of him being back on Twitter? I think it's a terrible mistake. And you're absolutely right. As we showed in the January 6th hearings, the president used that platform to incite that attack on the Capitol. Uh, and it contradicts what Elon Musk uh, said, that he was going to establish a council to evaluate this. Uh, and, and further contradicts uh, Musk uh, and his claimed concern about bots on his own platform uh, to subject the decision to a poll in a platform that could be easily abused that way. Uh, it just underscores the, the erratic leadership of Twitter now under Musk, but also the security concerns uh, with security people fleeing Twitter uh, and what that means for the protection of Americans' uh, private data. It's so incredible because he didn't seem to care about Americans' private data before Elon got involved in this thing, right? Did he care about Americans' free speech before Elon got involved? And we knew that Twitter, actually kind of coordinating with the government, was hiding the Hunter Biden laptop story, which, by the way, the congressional Republicans, now that they've taken over and Kevin McCarthy is the leader, the first thing they decided to do is look into the Hunter Biden laptop. Maybe that's a little bit of a distraction and we'd really care more about the border or something else, but they're doing something on that and it is obviously connected to free speech and everything else. Um, Schiff, who has lied, I mean, just lied about absolutely everything. He didn't care about who was being censored when it was his guys that were controlling the whole thing. Now he's very, very concerned. But speaking of this anti-Trump swath of U.S. congressmen, whether it's Kinzinger or Schiff, it gave us a good excuse just to play this classic moment. This is Eric Swalwell. I believe this is three years ago on MSNBC. It was three years ago, I think, yesterday on MSNBC. This is a bit of a throwaway, but it's an oldie but a goodie. The evidence is uncontradicted that the president used taxpayer dollars to ask the Ukrainians to help him cheat an election. And the complaint that I've heard from... We've been sitting on that one, no pun intended. Can we play it again? Because you can, because there was a rumor. So what happened, that was Eric Swalwell farting on MSNBC, okay, with, with Chris Matthews, who had to step down. He got canceled for something. Nobody can even remember anymore. But Eric Swalwell, who, by the way, slept with a Chinese spy. Everyone knows it. It actually happened. He will probably end up in jail at some point if there's any justice here. Although, you know, even when the Republicans have power, not a lot happens. Uh, as I brought up with several Republicans in D.C. last week. Uh, but I do want to play it again, because after the farting incident, after Fartgate on MSNBC, Chris Matthews claimed that he, it wasn't a fart, but that he had moved his coffee cup. But I think if you watch it carefully, you can see Swalwell adjusting just so to release the fart in a way that wasn't going to be picked up the mic. Alas, doesn't always work out that way. The evidence is uncontradicted that the president used taxpayer dollars to ask the Ukrainians to help him cheat an election. And the complaint that I've heard from... Actually, it was more than I thought. He almost like blew himself out of the chair. Anyway, that's a little sidebar. Uh, but there are other things happening here. It's not just that the people who've run the political institutions like Schiff, these sham impeachments, and oh, he mentions January 6th, and it's like nothing's coming from January 6th, guys, and nothing's coming from the Mar-a-Lago raid. The FBI basically admitted it. It's just all so ridiculous. They have distracted and confused everyone for so long. But it's not just our political institutions that maybe are being exposed a little bit at the moment. It's our entertainment institutions. This one is super, super interesting. We've got a thread from Chris Rufo uh, breaking. Disney has fired CEO Bob Chapek, who pushed critical race theory and gender ideology in the company's programming and employee training. Huge rebuke of woke leadership. After Chapek's disastrous fight with Governor Ron DeSantis, Disney Plus domestic subscriber growth collapsed, public approval dropped, and the stock price plummeted. Other causes contributed, economy streaming saturation, but timing suggests they paid a price for the DeSantis fight. Will be interesting to see if Iger, uh, this is former Disney CEO Bob Iger, who's now taking over, who is also left-wing, dials back the politics. I will be reaching out to my sources within the company in the coming weeks to see how the internal culture shifts. So this one is super interesting. Remember when all that don't say gay stuff was happening? And as you guys know, it had nothing to do 
with gay or anything else. It was about parents having some transparency regarding what their children were learning and who they were learning it from. Do you remember when all those Disney videos leaked and they were saying, all these employees were saying they were institute, they were pushing this woke ideology and the gender stuff into the movies and everything else. Well, then Disney starts collapsing. Everyone, everyone in the mainstream media, DeSantis is bullying Disney. Because what did DeSantis do? Hey, we're gonna take away your tax benefits. You are treated specially, right, here in Florida. Your headquarters, Disney, obviously in Orlando. You guys have all of these benefits. And if you are going to infect our young people with these bad ideas, we are gonna take these benefits away. He didn't punish the company by taking away something that was equal. He took away their special benefits. And everyone said, DeSantis is gonna pay for it. And suddenly all the lefties who were supposed to hate corporate power, suddenly then they were all about corporate power. And you know the, the unions and everything else, they'll destroy DeSantis. Well. Clearly didn't work out that way. Uh, DeSantis won by 20 points here uh, just two weeks ago. And, uh, and I think that's just the beginning for him. Uh, but it's interesting because it's one of those things, this don't say gay thing, it was an absolute disaster. Parents finally are getting involved and they are pushing back. And when politicians pu push back effectively, they win big. Uh, Steve Krakauer, who is Megyn Kelly's executive producer, had a really interesting Twitter thread about conspiracy theories. And I wanted to put up some of this. We've, we've covered most of this stuff, but I think you'll find this interesting. He wrote, yesterday's conspiracy theories are today's legacy media news reports. A thread on some interesting stories that have emerged in just the past nine days since the midterm elections have been held. Surely no relation, of course, on the timing. I think that was sarcasm. Uh, NBC Bay Area reporter Big Dad Shaban reported on the Pelosi attack based on source who saw body cam footage. It was almost identical to what Miguel Almaguer said 11, on 11-4 that got him suspended. DA says Pelosi will need to explain why he did what he did. Now, just real quick on that one, uh, just come back to me for one second. Um, on that one, that's regarding how it seemed like on the night of the attack, and it was reported in mainstream media, that Paul Pelosi, Nancy's husband, actually opened the door, let the guy in, the glass was broken on the outside of the house, not on the inside of the house, but suddenly we don't talk about that anymore, okay? He just continues to go on here, so I'll go a little faster. Two, Washington Post reports that after, uh, that after all that secret docs drama, Trump raid produced basically nothing of interest. This is the Mar-a-Lago raid. Do not point to any nefarious effort by Trump to leverage, sell, or use government secrets. More just about ego and keeping mementos. Three, there's also the S, uh, SBFFTX implosion. Who now says F regulators and ESG has been perverted beyond recognition and describes the dumb game we woke Westerners play where we say all the right things conveniently post midterms, of course. So this was, a, we're gonna get more into this in just a little bit. It was in essence, a giant money laundering scheme to funnel money to the Democrats. And then of course it gets exposed basically the day after the election, much like uh, basically the day after the election when the judge decided to announce that Biden uh, just giving blanket amnesty for all of these college loans, that's not gonna work either. So you get, all the, you get all the money from FTX, you get all the votes of young people who think their debt's gonna be canceled. Oh, and then the day after the election, <laughs> not gonna work. Um, let's keep going here. We have a few more? Or we're going right to, oh, so there were a couple more that he put in there. Uh, but let's, let's jump to the FTX thing, actually. Uh, so if you're not following this FTX story, it's, it's really, really crazy. I wanna give you sort of a blue sky version of it. So here's a, a simple explanation from the Daily Wire. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, the now bankrupt founder of the cryptocurrency exchange FTX, gave, gave a staggering sum of money to Democrats and far left causes this midterm election cycle before his multi-billion dollar uh, empire imploded this week. FTX, which is headquartered in the Bahamas, was launched in 2019 and had accrued more than 1 million users by 2022. Users suddenly demanded 6 billion in withdrawals after an article published by Coindesk revealed last week that the two arms of Bankman-Fried's cryptocurrency empire, FTX and Alameda Research, had significant overlap on their balance sheets in the form of cryptocurrency FTT, which FTX. 
X invented. I'll, I'll explain this a little bit more in just a moment. The disheveled 30-year-old went from boasting a $15.6 billion net worth to having no material wealth over the span of approximately two days. Federal and state officials are now investigating whether Bankman-Fried broke laws with his actions at the company. Uh, hint, yes. Bankman-Fried was the second largest donor for the Democrats this last election cycle, only behind mega-donor George Soros, giving him at least $38 million to leftist causes, giving at least $38 million to leftist causes, PACs and candidates, Fox News reported. Just a bit more here. Politico reported that Bankman-Fried was a top resource to whom Democrats went when lawmakers began looking at ways to regulate cryptocurrencies because of his willingness to write multi-million dollar checks to boost Democrats. Okay, now, what this all means is that this guy, who was a complete scam artist, he created a centralized cryptocurrency exchange. So any of you that know anything about crypto, the whole idea of crypto is that it's completely decentralized, right? It's a way for you, person watching this, and me, to exchange value, Bitcoin, whatever the cryptocurrency might be, uh, without having anyone else involved. So suddenly all of these centralized exchanges started appearing, right? FTX, Coinbase, and it was very odd. Why would you put your decentralized thing of value in a centralized space? Seems like a really bad idea. I have some crypto. I have not put it in a centralized space. I keep it on a ledger. It is my own, I keep it on a physical, actual drive, and then I can exchange it with someone else as I see fit. That's why it's such a threat to the system. It is decentralized payments, decentralized commerce between people. So he creates this completely fraudulent, centralized exchange, gets all of these celebrities and hugely powerful people to donate it under the guise of altruistic donations, and they're going to save the world with all of this. It always seemed like nonsense. I remember hearing about it like six months ago and thinking it seemed like pure nonsense. Like, what's the actual business? Then he takes all of this money and he starts funneling it to Democrats. He was the Democrats' second biggest donor after guess who? You're not going to believe it, guys. Can you, can you figure this one out? Yeah, George Soros. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? And then he got connected to everyone. Here's a picture of Bankman Freed. Get some pants. Nobody wants to see those pasty white legs. This is why, Connor, this is why you don't wear shorts, right? You never wear shorts. It's 107 degrees. You don't believe in shorts. It's because, only in the pool. It's because of this. No, like, get put on an outfit, man. Look at this ratty little asexual weirdo. Uh, but there he is, of course, with former British Prime Minister Tony Blair and former uh, U.S. President Bill Clinton. Of course, that's back in April of 2022. Uh, and then Dave Portnoy, you guys know Dave Portnoy from uh, Barstool Sports, who knows a bit about these exchanges and a bit about the market and what's going on. Uh, he was at Tucker Carlson. I was actually downstairs from them right there. I was having a burger over at the Hard Rock uh, Diner. Uh, he was on Tucker Carlson at the Hard Rock Hotel Hollywood just a couple days ago, explaining like, hey, is anyone gonna pay for any of this? Really get to the bottom of what happened? No, no. I mean, I don't know that we'll truly know what happened because there's a lot of big players who probably lost a lot of money. I mean, the bankruptcy today, what they released is crazy, what they were spending money on. But who knows? I never think we'll know anything. I don't want to be some conspiracy bait when there's big money involved. I never think I'm getting a straight shake. Like, I mean, honestly, how can Gensler sit down with a guy who is living in a penthouse in the Bahamas with 15 people who are all having sex with each other, spending money on everything, and he's like, yeah, we're going to write the legislation with you. I mean, honestly, <laughs> how is that possible? I, I can't tie my shoe. This guy's doing that and getting away with it. It's like, come on to the White House. Let's sit down and, you know, make some legislation. It's insane. Yeah, so there's a lot of weird stuff. It was like they were, they were having orgies and all this weird stuff, and this idea that Bankman-Fried was helping Democrats write legislation related to crypto. He was doing something that was against the very nature of crypto. If you talk to anyone that knows anything about Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies, again, this idea of the centralized uh, exchange is nuts. You would want it all to be decentralized, but they have a centralized guy. So he's into control, writing the laws about cryptocurrency, which is completely counter to the very ethos of cryptocurrency in the first place. But this thing, this FTX thing, it, it's everywhere. It's affecting 
and infiltrating, I would say, even the world governments that seem to be coordinating in some sort of, call me crazy conspiracy theorist, I'll be proven right in two years, some sort of uh, globalist agenda. Uh, we've got some info here from the New York Post. The shocking implosion of the FTX crypto exchange has become an embarrassment for a who's who among global elites with some issuing mea culpas and other apparently scrambling to hide their ties to its disgraced 30-year-old founder, Sam Bankman-Fried. <clears throat> Web archive sites show that the World Economic Forum, shocker, whose glitzy shindig in Davos, Switzerland is a must attend for billionaires and world leaders each year had previously listed FTX as one of its partners touting the Bahamas-based firm as a cryptocurrency exchange built by traders for traders. Bankman-Fried also was a speaker at Davos last May along luminaries such as Google Financial Chief Ruth Porat and Bill Winters, CEO of the London-based financial giant Standard Chartered. Nevertheless, World Economic Forum has since scrubbed any mention of FTX from its website in the days after the crypto exchange filed for bankruptcy. Do you think this is all weird? Do you guys think the timing of this thing is weird? There was this giant Ponzi scheme, money laundering machine that made it all the way to the election, being the second largest Democrat donoring structure, donation structure, and then it implodes the day after the election. And then the World Economic Forum, which we know basically puts world leaders in positions of power in different Western governments. Then they scrub FTX's relationship off their website within three, four days. Do you think this is weird? Here's Klaus Schwab, who's a very, very evil man in charge of the World Economic Forum, who has had much to do with destroying so much of freedom and Western democracy. And he tells us, he tells us what he's trying to do. And for some reason, mainstream media just won't cover it. First, I can't figure out why mainstream media wouldn't cover it. But. Of course, if you look at all the challenges, we can speak about the multi-crisis an economic, a political, a social, an ecological, an institutional crisis. But actually, what we have to confront is a deep, systemic, and structural restructuring of our world. And this will take some time. And the world will look differently after we have gone through this transition process. Who died and made this douchebag God? Do you get what these people are doing? There is a group of billionaires and elites who have meetings and launder money to decide how we will restructure the world. That is in direct violation of what the very the very idea of an independent nation is. An independent nation. Why did our founders leave the king? Why did we leave the British Empire? So we could have power over our own lives, set laws for ourselves. But this guy thinks if he can just get enough global leaders and enough money involved, and if they can buy off enough people, and if they can push things like COVID and vaxes and mandates and all of this stuff, that they can break you and that you will just be, well, owning nothing and eating bugs and loving it. And guess what? They're not stopping. They really are not stopping. It's, it's a little depressing, I suppose, but they are not stopping. And I promise you they won't win. They just won't win. It's not how, it's not how history works. Uh, at the G20, uh, they are now supporting, which of course is connected to the World Economic Forum and all of these things, uh, they are now supporting unanimous vaccine passports. You, they are, sorry, they are unanimously supporting vaccine passports. And leaders of the G20 are unanimously supporting a global vaccine passport system. G20, of course, a group of 20 major economies, including the US, the EU, and China. The 20 members agreed to it after finishing their summit in Indonesia. Here's Indonesia's Minister of Health. Let's have a digital health certificate acknowledged by WHO if you have been vaccinated or tested properly, then you can move around. So for the next pandemic, instead of stopping the movement of the people 100%, which clogged the economy globally, you know, you can still provide some movement of the people. 
So give people freedom by taking away their freedom. Got it. Man, like, does it make you a conspiracy theorist to think that COVID was basically planned, whether it was the lab leak or however this all happened, that it was going to lead to this? I mean, two and a half years ago, people talking about how this was all going to lead to digital passports and all of these things. I mean, what? What? I just want to be very clear to you, G20 people and you World Economic Forum people and you, Klaus Schwab, I'm never getting the vaccine. And if that means that I can't leave the free state of Florida, then you know what, so be it. I'll be here with the iguanas and I'll be here with the frogs and the lizards. And I guess I'll be here with you guys and that's it. And then maybe I'll just be able to go to your house and you guys all live in the same building, but that it'll just be a very short trip and I'll visit each one of you. These, God, these people, these freaks are evil. And so that guy who was just uh, speaking right there, uh, he's talking about that, you know, you will get tested and you will be mandated and you'll have this digital passport but that's that sounds crazy that sounds like a philip k dick total recall minority report sort of thing that can't be happening right now i mean that can't be possible that people would have to have qr codes on their phones that are genetically connected to them just so that they could get on trains that couldn't be happening in on planet earth right now china Yeah, that's China. That's China right now. So it's happening in front of our eyes. And the question is, how many politicians has China bought that are sitting in our halls of power right now? Uh, well, one of the other interesting things related to COVID, it's not just that they wanted a digital ID and maybe they can just shut down your bank accounts if you say something mean about the elderly man pretending to be president or whatever it might be. Uh, but it is coming out that myocarditis uh, is a problem. And a lot of people warned of it that there were heart problems related to these vaccines. Here's NBC News, a little late, but okay. Myocarditis after COVID vaccination. Pfizer and Moderna are tracking adverse health effects, if any, that may appear in the years following a diagnosis of vaccine-associated heart problems. Uh, you guys may remember that our uh, Surgeon General here in Florida, Joseph Latipo, a few weeks ago posted a research paper about myocarditis and young men and how it's up something like, if, uh, you don't have to quote me exactly, I think it was something like 800%. Twitter censored him and took it down. Then they said it was a mistake, all the usual stuff. All right, what's going on in Canada? Well, we here's a slight, I wanna put it out there. We've slightly altered this video, um, but uh, here's, Justin Trudeau uh, and a little something about freedom or lack thereof. Everyone's tired of COVID. But these protests, these protests are not the way to get through it. We just had to throw that one in. I saw it. It's just like, yes, Justin Trudeau, who has many times been in blackface, constantly telling everyone else they're racist. That was at the height of the protests when there were truckers who simply wanted to go back to work not be forced to be injected with things, want to be able to get on planes without government permission and all of that stuff. It's just, it's just not stopping. It's just not stopping. And that is why, guys, I'll get to this more towards the end, but that is why local control over your life and your family and your city and state is so important because it is bottom up that will destroy these giant top-down monsters that are coming for all of us. But it's not just tech and media and entertainment and finance and government. The universities have completely been taken over. And maybe we should have all known about this 30 years ago, uh, but now it has become very obvious. Uh, here's some info from The Blaze. University of Notre Dame mandates bivalent COVID-19 jab to enroll for 23-24 academic year, including students studying or performing research remotely and or virtually. Do you guys see how insane this is? We are still talking about vaccine mandates years later. And do you think that maybe is connected to that Klaus Schwab guy saying we are gonna have to restructure the world? Imagine a university saying, yes, you cannot come here if you don't get this vaccine and that booster. Oh, and it doesn't even matter if you're not even on campus. It has nothing to do with COVID, guys. It's about mass control. But the universities have been collapsing for a long, long time. There are literally universities today 
that have segregated housing. And it is not because of those right-wingers and those racist white supremacists and those scary Republicans. It's because of the leftists and the progressives who somehow think that modern racism is the uh, answer to historic racism. Uh, Dennis Prager was talking about it a couple days ago. But it said, for example, controversial conservative coming to university, Dennis Prager, controversial conservative coming to the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So I have a question that I'd like that, that writer, if, if he or she is here, uh, to, to, to dwell upon. Have you ever written a, an article about a controversial liberal? Are there controversial liberals? Or are there only controversial conservatives? Or here's another one. Are there any conservatives who come here who aren't controversial? Or is it definitional to being conservative? And it is. That's the point. At the American University today, it is definitional that if you are not on the left, you are controversial. That is a perfect admission on their part that there is a norm that is acceptable and that is left wing, and outside of it, you are controversial. You, do you realize what I've said that's controversial? I don't believe in black dormitories. That is today a controversial statement. When I was your age, that was the essence of liberalism, pro-racial integration, anti-racial segregation. Do you think it's a good thing to have black graduation exercises at Harvard? Do you think it's good to have black dormitories at, at almost all college campuses? If you do, you're on the left. If you don't, you're a liberal or a conservative. That part where he talks about how liberals used to fight against these things, the things that progressives are ushering in now, the woke racism, the gender stuff, it was the liberals of the 60s, Berkeley, the home of free speech, women burning their bras, the liberals who were locked arm in arm with Martin Luther King Jr. who wanted equality, not equity, and they've become the most hysterical authoritarians. But all right, guys, you got it. You get what's going on here. We're fighting, we're exposing, okay, fine. Uh, but it's not just enough to criticize the culture, right? We can criticize the culture all we want. You have to create the culture. And I really believe that is happening right now. And there will be losses along the way. There will be uh, disappointments at the ballot box and a whole bunch more. But I think if you look at Elon and Twitter, if you look at what Rumble and Locals are doing, if you look at the Florida blueprint, perhaps more than anything else, the Florida blueprint of the home of freedom led by good, competent people, that because decent people voted them in, that is the way that we can shift the culture because the culture shifted here. The culture shifted here and everyone that's in Florida except for a hysterical minority is, is pretty happy. It's pro-freedom here, it's pro-family here, it's pro-decency here, it's pro-individual here. Uh, and here's Governor Ron DeSantis uh, talking about the World Economic Forum and guess what? They ain't gonna make their way into this state. I want to have the values not of Davos imposed on us, but of places like Destin and Dunedin, where I grew up. Um, things like the World Economic Forum, uh, those policies are dead on arrival in the state of Florida. All right, so it ain't gonna be easy, but he's gonna fight it. And, you, and sometimes it's easier to fight from a state, perhaps, than from a giant nation, right? There's a machinery in a state that's that's humming along and doing well and being strengthened. And now he's feeling really great after this 20 point win and he can do a whole bunch more, uh, but they're working on some ESG stuff to keep that out of Florida and a whole bunch more. So what is the Florida blueprint? Well, listen to Ron DeSantis. I think what the election results in Florida show is, you know, Florida really has a blueprint for success. And I think some of the things that we do that work are, uh, we're all about exercising leadership and delivering results for the people that we represent. I did not take any polls when I became governor all the way through this entire term. The job of a leader is not to stick your finger in the wind and try to contort yourself to wherever uh, public opinion may be trending on one given moment. No, the job of a leader is to set out a vision uh, to execute that vision, uh, to show people that it's the right vision and to deliver concrete results. And when you do that, uh, the people respond 
And boy, on November 8th, did they ever respond in the state of Florida. All right. So that was Ron DeSantis this past weekend. But I don't only want to focus on Florida. It is the blueprint. I hope that those of you that are watching, if you're in a blue state, I hope you're thinking about moving. And I haven't thrown any money here in a while, but we've got the jar of money that we'll give to somebody at the end of the year. But it isn't just Florida where the right ideas are spreading. You may remember, uh, may remember about two months ago when Italy had an election and now they have uh, new prime minister, Georgia Maloney. And of course she gets in and she's on the right. So everyone says she's a fascist. This is gonna bring us back to World War II. She's evil, blah, blah, blah. But if you just listen to her speeches, which they will not show you on CNN and they're not gonna uh, type out transcripts of in the Washington Post or the New York Times, what she is talking about is sovereignty, Italian sovereignty. She's talking about secure borders. She's talking about caring about her citizens before this globalist agenda. And she gave a, another, I mean, she's really, uh, I think the star in, in world politics right now, she gave a absolutely spectacular speech about globalism. And here she's hitting France in particular when it comes to these, these globalist ideas and the exploitive hypocrisy of the whole freaking thing. Questo si chiama Franco CFA. È la moneta coloniale che la Francia stampa per 14 nazioni africane alla quale applica, alle quali applica il signoraggio e in forza delle quali sfrutta le risorse di questa nazione. Questo, questo è un bambino che lavora in una miniera d'oro in Burkina Faso. Il Burkina Faso è una delle nazioni più povere del mondo. Per il Burkina Faso che ha l'oro, la Francia stampa moneta coloniale. In cambio pretende che finiscano nelle casse del tesoro francese il 50% di tutto quello che il Burkina Faso esporta. L'oro che questo bambino si infila in un cunicolo per tirare fuori finisce per lo più nelle casse dello Stato francese. Allora la soluzione non è prendere gli africani e spostarli in Europa. La soluzione è liberare l'Africa da certi europei che la sfruttano e consentire a queste persone di vivere di quello che hanno. Mamma mia, that accent, I just love the accent and, and the fire at the end. Her point is, in this case, she's talking directly to France, but I think you can export this idea or you can, you can compare this idea to what's going on with the globalists. You guys create all of these problems all over the world. Why do 14 nations use uh, French money, right? And then you abuse the people there. You know, it's funny, when I've done my, uh, funny, it's I guess depressing to some level, when I've done my Off the Grid August, a couple times we went to Bora Bora. It's in French Polynesia, meaning that the French are basically occupying these Polynesian islands. And you know what happens? All of the natives, all of the Polynesians that live on these islands, all they, they're be the best job that you can get is to work at one of these resorts. Now, usually the top staff at the resorts, they're all French, uh, meaning they're native French people, but you can be a cleaning lady at a resort, you can be a bartender at a resort or a waitress at a resort, and those are the best jobs you can get in French Polynesia, but we don't talk about occupation or anything else. Anyway, her point is we, she, in her context, she's talking about the Italians, is I wanna protect our borders. We don't need to allow all of these people in because we feel guilty about the good civilization we've built. How about we point the finger at the people who are exploiting the African nations? In this case, she's talking about the French. Now let's do a full circle back to Twitter, free speech. Jordan Peterson sat down with Dennis Prager and they talked about the real fight that is happening right now. If you don't have the idea of the sovereignty of the individual, because there's no individual, there's no free speech. All you are is an avatar of your group interests. And if I'm not in your group, it's not in my interest to let you speak. There's nothing that we have to say to one another. There's nothing but power. It's a Hobbesian nightmare of group against group. And that's the postmodern doctrine. And so, it's, to call it appalling is to barely scrape the surface. It's, it's an assault, it, it, is, it is truly an assault on the most fundamental principles by which the West is governed. It's not surface level philosophy. It goes all the way to the bottom. And this is partly why I've been concentrating on religious themes in my lectures, let's say, because the argument goes all the way down to first principles. Is there 
is the, in, is the idea of the sovereignty of the individual correct? The Western answer is, it's the great discovery of the West. The Western answer is, that's the most fundamental truth. That is exactly what's under assault at the universities. The reason that the collectivist types hate me is because I've got their number. Take a while though. The sovereignty of the individual, your ability to think and act and make decisions for yourself and your family and your community, that's bottom up. That's the way it's supposed to be. But the collectivists, the people who believe in group identity, the, the people who believe in these giant organizations like the World Economic Forum and the CDC and big government and all of these things, they think if they can just take away your individual choice, make you a little cog in a machine that they will own you, and they might be right, and that's what we have to fight, and that's what we must continue to fight, and that is why they hate Jordan Peterson, and that's why it is great that thanks to Elon Musk that he is now back on Twitter, and that's why it's also great that Donald Trump, at least he's not back on, his, his account has been restored, he hasn't tweeted yet, and he may never tweet, by the way. You know, Donald Trump has Truth Social. He is tied up financially there, uh, with the you know with the parent company of of truth and probably has all sorts of limitations. So there's all sorts of things happening, but the opportunity for more speech, the opportunity for more thoughtful, interesting people to get their voices out there, and guess what? Even some bad people to get their voices out there, and then let's these let these things fight out in the open. That's good. That is good. It's me Monday over at the Ruben Report Locals community. Here's what I put up this morning. I thought this was just absolutely. Perfect, uh, Donald Trump uh, looking at his reinstated Twitter account. Is he gonna get on, yes or no? Obviously that's family guy right there. Uh, let me get to a couple comments from the locals community and then we got a funny uh, cold close for you. Mark says, Swalwell's mouth couldn't handle the crap spewing, so his ass had to come bail him out. Yes, I think you are quite right on that one. Ohana says, Twitter isn't an airport. You don't have to announce your departure. Yes, that's, that's funny. So there's all these people on Twitter that, you know, these lefties that are, I'm leaving today, and then they come back tomorrow. I mean, it's, it's basically what CBS is doing. It's like, go build some things. You know, if, if I did one thing right over these couple of years, I think I did a few things right, but if I did one, it's that we built locals because I always felt, no matter who owns this, and I still feel it even with Elon, even though I like the guy, I hope to meet him, maybe we could do some business together, but like, you gotta own your stuff. That was the whole purpose of why we started locals. That was why we merged with Rumble and, those are the right, you know, it's like if, if any of the, the progressives or lefties had created their own thing right now, they'd have a place to go to, but they don't have a place to go to, so they can bitch and moan all they want, but you're right, they're, they're not leaving the airport. Uh, Corgi Mom says, last night around the dinner table, my mom said a, I'm a Trump person and I voted for him, but I hope he doesn't get the nomination, he's done. Look, I'm hearing a lot of that. I'm hearing a lot of that. My travels in the last week, DC, and then the, the Fox Awards, meeting a lot of people, and a lot of people are feeling like the attacks on DeSantis were overboard. They're just tired of the thing, um, of, the, of all of the stuff, all of the baggage that it comes with. I think there's good arguments on both sides. He still is the center of the universe for good or worse, for good or bad, right? He really is. There, the machine hates him the most. Maybe he has the most juice to fight the machine. I think that's a, that's a good argument. He's done it before. Maybe he can do it again. On the counter side, can he bring in any new voters? Has he already hit his ceiling? Is he? It, can he get enough good people to work with him? You know, a lot of good people are are not in the mood to work with him anymore. That's just reality. So again, I will. If he's the nominee, I'm voting for him. If DeSantis is the nominee, I'm voting for him. Who knows if DeSantis even wants to run? But there's, but yes, there's, there is a shift happening. And I wonder to some degree, because Trump has not been on Twitter for so long, if he maybe can't read the tea leaves actually as well as he used to. All that being said, I will gladly sit down with him. I would sit down with him and DeSantis, we'll work on it. And I will ask them both the exact same questions and give them the exact amount of allotted time just to show an impartiality related to all of that. And, and you know, let's see what happens. Uh, Guys, in light of everything that's going on on Twitter and big tech and everything else, and when you talk about 
uh, some dangerous ideas. You could get booted from anything. So please, if you have not joined us already, you can create an absolutely free account at rubenreport.locals.com. You can throw in a couple bucks if you want to interact a little bit more, uh, but it's a great way in case I get booted from big tech to stay in touch. Uh, and of course you can subscribe at rubenreport, uh, uh, sorry, at rumble.com slash rubenreport. Uh, my interviews with Rand Paul, Jim Jordan, and Scott Walker from last week are up. Uh, we have a couple more coming out this week. And uh, we leave you with a cold close. The meme makers are excited because Donald J. Trump is back in action. Back, back, back again. Trump is back. Tell a friend. Guess who's back? 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 But nobody wants to see Biden no more They want Trump I'm John Liver Well, if you want Trump This is what I'll give you A little bit of weed Mixed with some hard liquor Some vodka that'll jumpstart my heart Quicker than a shot When I get shot at the hospital By the doctor When I'm not cooperating When I'm rocking the table Well, he's operating uh, You waited as long Now stop the fading Cause I'm back I'm on the break And I'm elating I know that you got a job, Mr. Lozzi But your husband's heart problem's complicating So the FCC won't let me be Or let me be me, so let me see They try to shut me down on my Twitter But it feels so empty without me Thank you guys for tuning in to the Rubin Report Direct Message. We're live on Rumble, Blaze TV, and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And if you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.